Bibles and turn to John 21. As we turn there, let me re-challenge what Miguel was here to do this morning, was to challenge you, us, to be involved in children's ministries. We, we would just beg you to go next week. Just go. Just go get a free lunch and see what's going on. God may get you involved over there. We're grateful for our men and women who serve over there. John 21, 1 through 14 is our text. It is an amazing text. Um, some of my favorite words are in this text. It is, a, it is a manifestation of the resurrected Christ. Listen as I read and then we'll work down through it. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I like that. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. I don't like that. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish, do you? And they said to him, no. And he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul in because it was a, a great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, out, put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciple came in in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land and a large, uh, full of large fish, and 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and the fish likewise, now this now is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your, your sovereignty in our life. We could not have sung that last song, Lord, if you had not changed our view, invaded our lives, Lord. We would sing, we believe in us. That would be our anthem, Lord. But you have changed it, and we believe in you, Father. We believe in your Son. We believe that he died for us. He conquered death. We believe he is resurrected, having victory over our sins, Lord. And we believe this same Jesus that we see in this text and have sung about this morning, he is coming back. And he will collect those who believe in him. Father, we do long for that day for you to send your son. But Father, we want to stay busy about your business, Lord. We see in the text this morning, we pray, Lord, you would help us that we do get lost from time to time. We revert back to things that really are fruitless. Lord, we pray that you would keep 
our eyes solely fixed on your son and capture us greatly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but from time to time, I get lost a little bit. I think everybody gets a little lost sometimes, and we're talking even about believers. And you can be lost even when you're found. And so what does that mean? Well, you may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be genuinely saved, but there are times we drift. We drift. That's a cowboy term. You move to the next place. (laughs) We drift, and we seem to drift away from the Lord. We seem to not sense his presence, even though he is there with us. And in those times, if you examine your life and you're honest about it, you'll have tendencies to turn back to old paths, old ways. You'll have tendencies to go do things that were part of the old person, the one that God has saved you from. And when we look at today's text, I think that's what's glaring in this text. The Lord Jesus is not presently with the disciples like he had been for three years. They don't know where he is particularly right now. He's manifested himself in certain situations, but he's not walking with them like he had been. They do not have the spirit of God in their life yet, breathed on them as it's gonna come in Acts 1. And so they're a little lost. So they revert back to what they know. Now, not necessarily everything we revert back to is wrong, but it is wrong when we go without the Lord. And we'll find ourselves very empty, extremely empty, when we try to live this life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's a great example in this text on what happens when men and women, boys and girls, choose to revert back to things without Christ. We feel lost, and we feel in need of our Savior. This is a great passage. It's very practical. And the passage is setting up the calling out of Peter to the restoration that we'll see next week as he restores Peter and sends him out to tend his sheep. But it is setting up this passage as a need for Jesus. And so I titled our sermon as We Need Jesus. I couldn't think of a better title for this text. We need Jesus. We need him every hour. We are prone to wander, the hymn says, prone to leave the God I love. That, that hymn writer who wrote that was not was not just out on his own little, well, this only applies to me. There is a flesh that we battle, isn't there? There's a flesh in us that wars against the spirit, Galatians 5 says. And it's prone to wander. That flesh wants to wander away from the Lord time and time again. And this text will help us see this. So what I'd like to do is just go down through the text verse by verse, make some comments, get some general understanding, and then we'll end with three key thoughts of application for our own lives here. You notice in verse 1 that it says these things, Jesus, uh, after these things, after all that happened in the upper room with, with the disciples and Thomas and, and that he now seen, uh, saw Jesus as Lord and God in verse 28, after he had made those appearances, those manifestations to him, Jesus manifests himself again. Notice the text. Jesus himself. The Bible is very clear here. This is not somebody who looks like Jesus or somebody that was masquerading as Jesus. It is Jesus himself. He uses a personal pronoun about Christ himself. He did it again. And he did it at the Sea of Tiberias. This is the Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has several names. Um, this is one of them. 
Um, and he manifested himself in, in this way. So the word manifest is a key word we kind of want to look at just for a second here. It, it's used twice, so it gives us something that we need to probably figure out what he's talking about. When, when, Paul, when, excuse me, when John says this, he's trying to get us to understand that there's, there, is, um, there is a presence of Jesus in his glorified body that is unique. One of the things you'll notice is that every time Christ manifests himself to somebody after the resurrection, they don't immediately recognize him. We saw it in Mary Magdalene. We see it on the Maus Road. We see it with the disciples. When he comes into the upper room in John 20, both times, till he speaks, they don't truly recognize him. So it is a manifestation, and it is, it is really helping us understand he is unique in him presenting himself in this glorified body. He is still Jesus. He is still the son of God. He is still the son of man. So he's still fully God and fully man. But there's now a veil that has been dropped. He's more like the Jesus of Matthew 17 when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John see him as he really is. His glory is now shining through. He doesn't quite seem to look the same. But it's important that this word manifest is used because it's presenting us with a glorified Christ. He has beat death. He's resurrected. He has now returned the glory he had with the Father before the world began. He has that. So there's a uniqueness about him. And often he is not recognized like he was during his earthly ministry. The second use of manifest is designed to mark this as event. I think what John says, he said he manifests himself in this way. John's marking this event. And when I saw that, I said, okay, this is more important than my first eye or my first thought thinks. He's marking this as a a presentation of Jesus in a unique way. So notice in verse 2, he identifies the disciples that are there, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus. He's just the man that we heard in verse 28 of the previous chapter, call him Lord and God. In fact, my Lord and my God. So, so Thomas is with Peter here. Nathaniel, Nathaniel was the one that Christ saw underneath the, the fig tree and just amazed Nathaniel. And we believe that he was the Messiah. He's from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, John and James. And the two other disciples, which are not named here. So there's at least seven disciples here uh, that we recognize here with this scene that's happening. Third, Simon Peter says to them, to this group, maybe they've been in the upper room. Uh, Acts 1 says they had been gathering continually in the upper room. But Peter makes a statement. He says, I'm going fishing. Now, when I first read that, I have to admit, there's a little fleshly side of me (laughs) that likes that little phrase. I love to fish. And if you would let me live in my flesh, I would probably go fishing most days. And when I wasn't fishing, I made golf. There is a, there's a sense of Peter here saying, look, I'm, I'm going back to do what I know what I can do. I can fish. There's several thoughts here that why I love this is because I do enjoy fishing and it's a great time to think and to enjoy God at a certain level to participate in his creation in a way. Um, and, and so that appeals to me. But there is a huge spiritual lesson here as well. And I'll come back to this a little more later in the application, but, but it's clear the disciples just felt lost without Jesus. They just felt lost. 
They, they're waiting for the Spirit of God to fall on them so they're not indwelt. The, the shining, illuminating light of the Spirit of God is not in them yet to direct them and help them get through that, and they're, they're lost. And I, and I couldn't help but think about this. This is what you and I get so often. When we suppress, quench the Spirit, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, we feel lost. When we venture into this world without Christ, we get up on Monday morning, we don't speak to him, read of him, engage with him at, at, at any level, and we walk out the door to go into the world, you can feel very lost. I've heard many, many men in my office tell me how lost they feel. I'm in a dead-end job. I don't feel as though God is with me. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I don't know fully, is that what Peter was thinking? um, He has great commands from the Lord what he's going to do, but at this point he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go do what I know I can do. And and what's fact is, is that Peter seems to have sway. He always has had sway over the other disciples. And these disciples say, look, we're coming with you. We're coming with you. And they return back to something that they're very, very familiar with, and they head out. Notice at the end of verse 3, it says, and they went out and got into the boat. Did that, when I read that, did that catch your attention a little bit? Why didn't they get into a boat? What's the boat? I don't know. So you can maybe tell me later. Um, You're probably wanting an answer from that. I I don't have one. Um, I I have a thought. I I have a thought. I, I think it's probably Peter's boat. I think it's probably the boat of Luke 5. We'll get to that in a minute. I think it's the boat of familiarity. I think it's the boat of this is where I'm most comfortable. And I don't want to get out of this boat. Anybody ever been in that boat? (laughs) That comfortable boat? I think that's what the boat is. Look at verse 4. Somebody shows up. But when the day was now breaking, so all night has gone by, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So here's the glorified Savior. He seems a little bit harder to recognize. He's he's in his glorified body now. This is consistent, as we already said. The disciples hadn't recognized him until he spoke. Mary didn't recognize him until he said her name. And when he spoke, she knew it was the Master. This has been common. And so here he is. He's he's on the beach, verse 4, verse 5. Jesus says to them, he begins to speak, children, do you not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. What a fascinating verse. This is a term that Jesus has not ever used, at least recorded in the scripture so far of the disciples. In fact, he uses the Greek word padia. He does not use tekna, which is most of the time we see in the Bible, children. John goes on to use tekna all the time in 1 John about children, that we're children of God and, and we're children that need a father and so on. He uses the word padia, which is little, little infant ones. <laughs> um, it may be why they said no. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever been fishing and some guy rolls up and you're having a terrible day. You've been snagged all life and you haven't caught a thing and somebody goes, hey, how you doing? Great. Leave me alone. Maybe that was what it is. I'm not sure. I don't know if all of you have ever been fishing. But, but if you have caught fish, sometimes you say, oh, I'm fine, you know. <laughs> you don't want to give up your spot. 
But reality is, Jesus calls them little infant children. And, and it's a unique term. He hasn't used that of them. And so you must think about that just for a minute. I've given you instructions. I've told you that you're going to be sent out into all the world. I told you the Spirit's going to come. Why are you wondering? Why are you acting like children going back? It's, I don't think it's a slam, but it must be dealt with and why he chose that word. It's attached to a, a question. Do you have any fish? How are you doing on your own out there? How are you doing without me? Are you catching much? Are you successful in your ministry of fishing? We've got nothing. I mean, could you imagine if later, certainly later, they had to come back and they're remembering John 15 and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. How are you doing? I'm doing terrible. I'm doing terrible. Verse 6. The all-knowing Savior directs the disciples where they are to fish now. He says to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. I don't know how I would respond to this if I didn't know it was Jesus, like they don't. Somebody yells across the lake to me, hey, just throw over into that drift over there. I guess if you haven't caught anything all day and maybe you think this guy has some knowledge or can see something that you can't see, maybe you would do that. But they, without question, seemed to do that. They cast, and then they were, they were not able to haul in the load. They, they obeyed immediately. Okay, well, we'll try this. And when the word of God directs you, and what's interesting, that they didn't even quite understand this, that it was Christ at this point. But the, but the fact of the passage is, is when the word of God directs you, good things happen. When you obey the word of God, obedience here is the key, not to luck. The all-knowing Jesus is telling them where to lower their nets. And you go, was this just... Um, how did he orchestrate this? How does he know that? Do you remember when, when the uh, Pharisees were accusing Jesus of not paying taxes, he tells Peter to do what? Go fish. He says, go fish. The first fish you catch, open its mouth, and there will be a drachma, I think, is in it. Or denarius will be in it. And give that for our taxes. He knows where everything's at, including the fish. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? He says, look, just put your nets on the other side. They obey him, and they can't bring in the hall. Because, look at the end of the text, because the great number of fish. In a few minutes, we'll see just how many fish that are. Verse 7, Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. I remember this. This happened in Luke 5. <laughs> Maybe in the same spot, possibly in the same spot. They could be returning to that same spot where Christ preached on the shore and got in that boat and preached those great sermons. It is finally clicking and John goes, hey, ho, whoa, that's the Lord. Peter responds to this, puts on his outer garment. He's probably just stripped down from fishing. It's hot, it's, it's laborsome. You don't want to get tied up in the nets. They, remember what they did? They threw nets and then they would draw them together. The nets would sink down, go around the fish. They would draw them together. It was hard work. They still fish that way on the Sea of Galilee. Many people do. 
But Peter hears that it's the Lord. Notice the end of the text. And he threw himself into the, the sea. And it's a word to cast something. Same word we would say you're casting if you're fishing in the, in the Greek. He cast himself into the ocean. Isn't this Peter? Isn't this our, our good friend Peter? John beats him to the tomb and Peter just runs right by him, right into the tomb. Chops people's ears off. I'll, I'll die with you, Lord Jesus. That's our Peter. He just, he responds to Jesus. Maybe not always right. Maybe out of uh, not thinking and through things. But there's a zealousness for the Lord that we love in Peter. And he, certainly God used that in great ways at the birth of the church. And so here he is. There's a miracle happening. John says, that's a miracle. No one can do that. That's got to be the Lord. He says, Peter, it's the Lord. And, and, and John and Peter see the touch of the master. Kyrios is the word Lord. We get the word master from that. It's the master. It's the creator. It's an omniscient savior. Peter, it's the Lord. And what Peter catches on, he wastes no time in his attempt to get to the Lord. And we love that about Peter. Verse 8. But the other disciple came in in a little boat. You can decide who's smarter here. John gets in a little boat for they were, they, were, they were not far from land about a hundred yards away and dragging the net full of fish either he's smart or responsible or can't swim I'm not sure what it is but John seemingly must hook the nets to this little boat and they come to shore in a smaller boat a dinghy maybe that was tied to the larger boat verse 9 and so they got out on land and there was a charcoal fire already laid and fish on it and bread. And it looks as though maybe the disciples hit the beach about the same time. Peter's swimming in and John's coming in the boat dragging it. And as the fish, as they fished and wasted the entire night looking for something, here as they walk onto shore, here's Christ with what they were looking for all night. Already cooking. Here it is. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. He's instructing his disciples to bring what he already gave them, right? This is not something they would have if he wouldn't have given it to them, right? Can we understand that? If, they, if he didn't instruct them to cast the nets and they came to shore, he would say, well, do you have anything to add to this? No, we got nothing. Now they got something because Christ gave them something. Now they have something to bring, something to give, something to add to the meal here in verse 10. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to the land. So he gets out of the water. John's hitting there. You can kind of see the scene. They're coming in and they're pulling this net full of large fish. Not even approximate. The, count, the exact count is given as 153 and although there were so many, the net was not torn. So you can see the scene. The master has spoken. Peter has reacted. They help draw the nets in that don't break. It isn't, I just kind of crack up at this verse a little bit because fishermen love to keep details of how big and how many. Recently, there was a fishing trip I heard about. They told me exactly how many they caught and how long, they, and how long it took them to catch it. Fishermen don't change. But it's interesting. I think John wants us to know the significance of what happened here. 
This was a miraculous event. This was a manifestation of Jesus. And when Jesus is around, great things happen. Things happen that they can't always explain, but they can give you the facts to them. What, were the fish just sleeping on the other side of the boat? And did they fish all night just on that one side of the boat? I mean, I got a lot of questions about this. But at the end of the day, this is a miraculous event. Let me show you Luke 5, because I think it's important to see this, because sometimes we forget what Jesus does. It isn't until later that we sit back after we have drank in how gracious our God and Savior is to us that we start to remember what he has done. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God. So what was Jesus preaching? The word of God. The hymn is Jesus here. They're listening to him, preaching the word of God. And he was standing by the lake of the Garneset. This is another term for the Sea of Galilee. Possibly, it wouldn't be unlike the Lord to be in the same spot here as he is in John 21. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the water, but the fishermen had got, gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now we're kind of thinking about, about that the boat back in 21. Maybe some sense here being made. And ask him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began to teach the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets, and let, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard, what? All night. And we haven't got anything. Isn't that interesting? This is a very similar scene. Probably almost three years earlier this took place. We've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down my nets. Now that's a very interesting term because that's exactly what they do in John 21. That's why we think they're believers. The believers obey their master even when they've been stupid. Even when they've been selfish comes to the point when you hear the word of God speak to you, if you are a believer, you obey it. And I love that about Peter and the guys here. Verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now here's our brother Peter. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me for I am a sinful man. Almost like Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is in the presence of the Almighty. For amazement, now look at this. I love this verse. It's marked very well in my Bible. For amazement had seized him. Are you amazed with Jesus? Are you still amazed at Jesus? Is amazing grace still amazing to you? Or does it just part of Sunday and then Monday? It's not that amazing anymore. Are you still amazed at grace? See, Peter was amazed and all of his companions because the catch of the fish had been taken. And, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. There they are. And were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. For now on you will be what? And what were they doing in 21? They had left. They had 
forgotten this calling. And verse 11 says, and when they had, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. See, Jesus is bringing them and you and I, I think in the text, back to our original calling. And this is why we preach the gospel Sunday after Sunday, because it brings us back to our original calling. There are times we drift. There are times we get lost in doing our own thing. This is what I know I can do. I don't want to get out into some other thing, Lord. This is what I know. And the Lord comes and finds us there. He, it's, it's so fascinating the way the Lord works with us. He lets us drift into areas that we know we shouldn't be. And then he comes and gets us in that area and brings us back out of it. He's not a God that waits over here and says, well, they figured it out. I'll be over here. He comes and finds you where you're at. He finds you in a broken marriage. He finds you in a dead-end job. He finds you deep, wallowing around in sin. And he says, come out of that. Come out of that. I've died for you, and I want you to be free from that sin. There's such spiritual implications here, and you could see Peter. He's, he knows this is the Lord now, and, and there's a tension. There's a, there's a tension here. Notice in verse 12, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? There seems to be a little bit of tension. Verse 13, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. And he's saying, come eat, but they don't seem to be eating. There's a tension. There's, maybe I shouldn't have been where I was when you came, Jesus. Now you're feeding me? You're giving me what I need when I ventured into areas I probably shouldn't have ventured into? It seems, I don't know if you see that in the text. It's very evident um, as I studied it that there seems to be this tension. But notice that Jesus is caring for them. Verse 13, he's feeding them. He's, he's meeting their needs. And, and, and just think through 12 and 13, back what he said in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so as soon as he's on the shore, they're out there fishing. He says, hey, look, you guys need to throw your nets on the other side. They do that. They recognize it's Jesus. And immediately, what do they do? One jumps in. The others row in. They come right to the chief shepherd. Maybe a little bit of sheepishly, but they come. They come. Recently, someone said to one of our elders, in a very sincere way, and believe him to be very sincere, as he was inviting him to church, said, look, I'm not, I'm not ready to come. I, my life is not in order. And this elder of ours said, that's when you come. See, that's what Jesus does. He comes and gets us in that position. He's so loving, so caring. He, he desires a relationship with you. He does not want you wandering where you should not be. And he brings you. And he feeds you and he cares for you and he gives you exactly what you need. And that's what our Lord does in this passage. This is Peter who just recently denied him three times. The Bible says vehemently, meaning calling down curses from heaven. The next time he sees him, he's in the upper room. The next time after that, he's now feeding him, caring for him. 
And we'll see next week he'll be restoring him and sending him out to ministry. This is our Lord. Verse 14 says this. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to disciples after he was raised from the dead. And there were certainly more appearances than this. But I think what John is referring to is that he's manifested himself to the entire group. He showed himself to Peter earlier, Mary Magdalene, men on the Emmaus Road. Um, but the third time now where he's had the group together and says, look, follow me. I told you I was going to make you fishers of men, not fishers of fish. Follow me. Follow me. Well, we've given some application through this already, but I want to end with just three thoughts that really kind of mark our thinking here. One, there's always a temptation to live life separate from the will of God. There's always a temptation to live your life separate from the will of God. There's always a temptation to think that I know better than God. We wouldn't say that. I know you and I, we wouldn't say that publicly. But we act on it. We have an old mentality in our mind. Well, if I need to get something done, I better do it myself. And we seem to go without God in certain areas of our life. And notice in verse 3 that they went fishing. And, and what struck me in that is they were still finding their identity in something that God called them away from. What's your identity in? Who are you known as? There's stupid things that make us think about this sometimes. Michael's been after me to start a Twitter account. This week I finally gave in to him. And I had to fill out my little profile. What are you going to say about yourself? <laughs> hmm. Follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing you write. Husband of Gina. Father of Colton, Connor, Caleb, and Cannon. Pastor of Grace Bible Church. Follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to describe myself as. Now, practicing that 24-7, hmm, have to have a little bracket in there. <laughs> Striving by the help of the Spirit to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they only give you 160 characters. See, we often go back to what we have our confidence in. And that's what Peter does. My confidence is in I do this well. I was there before Jesus came. I can keep doing this. I can bring in a living. I can do this. Verse 5. How you doing without me, Jesus says. Not good. We're not catching anything. How you doing without Jesus on Monday school? After being here on Sunday school. How are you doing with them in marriage and life and all the things that come? You'll find that you are often fishing on the wrong spot. And you're not with the Lord. And he'll show you every once in a while, there's nothing in that pool you're fishing at. Because you didn't take me. And our efforts often are fruitless. Verse 6, Jesus has an, given them an amazing catch. But it was because he caused it. And so I thought of a few verses. Just quickly, just listen to these verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. 
There are certain things that our identity was in before we need to give up. Lord, I'm not that person any longer. I am not known as the athlete, the salesman, the, the perfect physique, whatever it is you want to have yourself, your identity in before that God saved you out of, that you held to so closely, that one is gone. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Verse 18, we often forget to read this when we read that great verse. Now all these things are from God. All these things, this new creation now that you have, a new mind to see Jesus where you didn't see him before, a word of God and the spirit of God to understand what he is telling us and to grasp it, to apply it to our life, the Bible says all these things are from God. And then it qualifies who this God is, who reconciled us to himself, meaning changed our position so he could be in our, we could be in his presence for eternity through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Peter, I didn't give you that ministry anymore. I have a new one for you. Go catch men. And for us, it is the same. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not charting our own course anymore, brothers and sisters. So you may think you do, and God is so gracious to let us engage with him on daily things, but he has charted our course. In fact, he has created in us through Jesus Christ, good works, which he prepared beforehand, in advance, your Bible may say. So he has things for us to do. And when we say, oh God, I'm going to return to what I feel most comfortable in. I'm not going to follow you. He's coming for you. And sometimes he may not be so gentle. Because the Bible says he disciplines the one he loves. He has a plan for our lives. So be careful the temptation to live a life separate from the will of God. You say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, start with some simple things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. You can spend the rest of your life working on that one. If you're married, dedicate yourself to that spouse and children that God has given you. If you're part of the church, be a part of the church. Be an active part, a foot, an arm, a mouth, a head, some, be something. This is the will of God, your sanctification, the Bible says. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Grow in Christ. Grow. Grow, obey him, follow him, walk with him. Otherwise, you will give in to the temptations of life. Two, Christ will never leave you nor forsake you, even though you don't always recognize his presence. I I love that about this story, because the story isn't about Peter and John. The story is about Jesus. There's my boys. They're a little confused. They're returning to something that's going to be very, very fruitless. But I'm not going to let them stay there because I love them. So boys, what are you doing out there? Well, we've been fishing all night and we haven't done anything. How are you doing apart from me? Terrible. Okay, let's obey now. Cast your net somewhere else. See what he does for us? how kind he is. He doesn't forsake us even when we seem to drift, even when we seem to wander. Even though we may abandon the plan of God, Jesus searches out his followers. You know that old poem, you know, where they're walking and there's two footpaths and there's sand and then there's one and, you know, for a while everybody had it in their bathroom or somewhere. 
But the reality is there's some truth to it, isn't there? He said, where were you, Lord? I was packing you, you lazy bum. I sent you to do something and you wandered off and I had to get you and bring you back. I mean, we laugh, but it's so true, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 13, five and six says this, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself said this, I will never desert you and I will never forsake you. So that we have confidence to say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, we quote that stuff all the time. But Jesus demonstrates this to us. Look, I'm not going to leave you. And some of you are here today and you feel so alone. I know you're going through it. We've all been there. You've drifted in areas you should not be in and you feel so isolated and alone. Bow the knee to Jesus. Where do you want me to cast my nets, Lord? I've been casting them in the wrong place and I keep coming up empty every time. See, Jesus loves us and he says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation to me, you're my people for my own possession. So go proclaim my excellencies, Peter said. See, he got this. He figured out this lesson. He said, we are to proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not go chase our own things. I mean, so I feel so alone. And so Paul writes to you in Romans 8, 35, who will separate you from the love of God? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword? And if any of those things are you, you better come talk to me tonight, today. Because most of us are just depressed. And we're struggling and we're not happy with what God has given us. But he says, I'll go farther than that. If you're in tribulation, if you're in distress, if you're in persecution, if you're in famine, starving to death, and you have no clothes, and you are periled, and the sword is at your throat, I will not forsake you. Because nothing can take you from my presence. Third and last, is a good question for all of us. Will you surrender to Jesus and let his word feed you? Will you surrender to Jesus and let his word feed you? This question means, will you surrender to Christ's plan if you're a believer? If you're an unbeliever, it's still surrendering to Christ's plan. He has a plan to save you, to rescue you, that you'd put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Believe in Jesus. If you're here and you don't believe in him, you better put your faith in him. Because you think it's fruitless fishing now. And life comes to an end and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. It'll be the worst fishing trip you've ever been on. An eternity of emptiness, devoid of any pleasure, devoid of anything and suffering and pain for those who reject Jesus. But for those of us that are believers, bend the knee. Verse 12 and 13, Jesus provides what you're seeking for. Peter, you're seeking fish? I just put them on a charcoal fire like that. You want this? Okay, here it is. I'll give you fish. I can do that. That's not a problem. I'll give you what you need. Jesus said in his own Sermon on the Mount, probably close to this area on the Sea of Galilee, preached. He says, look at the flowers. I dress them better than Solomon. And you're worried about where you're going to sleep and eat and have food? 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. The disciples had to learn this just like you and I have to learn this. And so let me just wind up giving you a few passages of scriptures and then we'll pray. Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active. This is 12 and 13. And sharper than two-edged sword, meaning it can cut any which way. The word of God can cut to you, get to you any which way. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit to the joints and marrows and able to judge even Scott's thoughts and intentions of his heart. Wow, I need the Bible. I need the Bible. And look at this. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to his eyes of him with whom we have to do. And I used to read that verse as going, boy, Jesus knows all the bad stuff I do. I don't think that's what that verse is about. I think it's a loving verse to tell you that you can't get away from my presence. I am there, and I'm coming after you. And I'm coming after you with my word. Because this is how I speak to you. And I'll get to your soul, I'll get to the thoughts and intentions of your heart and that will bring you back and set you on the journey you need to be. Because Peter knew that the word of God would give him everything he needed for life and godliness because it brought him to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he put his faith in it. And so if you're here today and you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat, listen to Jesus. He's on the shore. He's calling you. He has a plan for you. Obey him. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us despite our poor choices at times. We're going to sing a song to you in a minute, Lord. And the third verse, Lord, tells us that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Father, I think the author, Robert Robinson, was right. I think all of us, as we sing that here in a moment, will know that that is true in our lives. We have a tendency, Lord, to drift. We have a tendency to live life independently of you, Lord. And we, I think many of us this morning, would confess that that is very foolish thinking. When the God of all creation standing on the shore can see everything, Lord, and yet we work all night for nothing. Lord, I pray that our obedience would change from our own wills to yours. Each and every one of us. We want to follow the master. We either want to row the boat in or dive in, Lord. We're all very different, but we're coming. And so, Lord, thank you for being patient with us and calling us and giving us predetermined, pre-planned jobs to do for you. Lord, that brings us security and knowledge that you love us and you were part of something greater than just the old world that's spinning around here. So, Lord, help us bow the knee this morning. Lord, as we sing this song, Father, if there's those that are in this room that don't know you, Lord Jesus. Now they, they don't even hear the master. They don't even know what he sounds like. I pray you'd save them right now, Lord. Cause them to confess Jesus as their savior, just to plead, to beg that you would come into their life and take away their sins, Lord. Please don't let them leave here. 
Father, for probably the majority in here, Lord, we just, we need to keep, keep from drifting, Lord. We need to be more diligent of listening to the Master. We need to let the Spirit have its way and so they can win the battle over our flesh, Lord, daily. Lord, we need to take up our cross and follow you, Jesus. Because you'll give us what we need, Lord. You're the best father in the world. So, Lord, help us. Help us as we sing this song to you, that it would be lasting. This would come from our hearts, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.